Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. It's wonderful to see all of you and of course those who are joining us online. Uh, I don't know who is uh, checking in. According to our Facebook data, every week we attract about 70 views. So we'll see. It will be interesting this week how many people actually watch our Facebook live streams. This morning I want to speak to us about entrepreneurial work. As we continue in our Work Matters series uh, based on a book by R. Paul Stevens. If you talk to any business people, they'll tell you that if they can reduce their operating costs without compromising the quality of their services, they would seriously consider it. And this is where business process outsourcing firms come in. Located uh, in countries like India and the Philippines, they contract with external service providers to perform essential business processes such as accounting, IT services, customer relations services, call centers, marketing, and sales for companies. Not surprisingly, BPO firms are the economical choice for many companies based out of the US, Europe, and Australia, for instance. Demand for them has significantly increased, particularly for BPO firms in the Philippines because of their affordable rates for high-quality services. It has become one of, if not, the world's capital for BPO, with well over 850 registered BPO firms located there, hiring millions of Filipinos, making this sector one of the fastest-growing industries in the Philippines. For instance, did you know that Telstra employs 30,000 Filipinos in the Philippines? 30,000 Filipinos actually work for Telstra, even though it's a, it's a company based here. And there are drawbacks, of course, and I'm sure you've experienced these drawbacks. But to be fair, Australian-based contractors are not necessarily better or more efficient either. Now, one of the BPO firms that I want to talk about is called Data Motivate. The firm was established in 2013 to specifically educate and employ people who have been rescued from human trafficking in partnership with NGOs like World Vision uh, and uh, International Justice Mission and so on and so forth. The company's goal is to help alleviate poverty and change the narrative that disadvantaged people, disadvantaged communities have no hope of breaking out from the poverty cycle. The International Labor Organization estimates that there are approximately 40, 40 million people trafficked or caught up in what is also known as modern slavery. The tragic thing is 80% of those rescued are, retra- are retrafficked without alternative opportunities. They go back to the very slavery that they've been rescued from. In the light of that, you can see, can't you, the incredible solution Data Motivate provides in helping end modern slavery through job creation. Rachel Nelson, a business consultant amongst other things, writes, economic empowerment is crucial because human trafficking often has economic roots 
with lack of education and extreme poverty, creating vulnerability that allows traffickers to prey on those desperate enough to fall victim to their ploys. And this vulnerability does not go far, does not go away after rescue, but is actually made worse by the trauma and stigma carried by survivors. So it's one thing to rescue people from slavery, but to keep them out of slavery, we've got to provide education and other working opportunities. And one of the founders of Data Motivate is this guy by the name of Sam Dharma Palam, a committed Christian and a former executive with Deutsche Bank. That's how you say Deutsche, Deutsche, Deutsche Bank. In response to a question asked at an interview, how important is your work to God? How important is your work to God? This is what he said, and I quote, I'm humbled to be part of God's work in the Philippines. There's a church in the Philippines where many missionaries attend. And you can see how God has called each to bring their specific gifts, including their love, their energy, their patience, to fulfill his intentions. So my work is but one part of his plan. I just love his worldview. He does not see what he's doing any less than what the missionaries are doing. But one part of God's plan, starting this organization, is seeing me spend a lot of time praying by myself, with others, and for others. His greatest joy is seeing hope restored to survivors who've lost all hope of having a decent life. And the praises to God that come from these truly grateful hearts. He continues, once my company provides the basic necessities of life, such as a stable and livable income and a supportive work environment, there is an immense hunger for spiritual guidance. That's one of the places when God, where God re-engages them and draws them closer to him. Now, Sam is just one of thousands of Christian entrepreneurs who are part of a growing movement around the world who love God with all of their hearts and who are committed to love and serve their neighbors through redemptive entrepreneurship. This is an incredible development because over time in the history of Christianity, a sort of a Christian hierarchy of accepted vocations uh, has emerged where at the top end of the scale are the vocations of missionaries, uh, pastors, evangelists, and full-time church employment. And somewhere at the bottom has traditionally been the businessmen and women. During the larger part of Christian history, a number of commercial activities were either disallowed, can you believe it, were disallowed or frowned upon by church teachings. Martin Luther, for instance, wrote against foreign trade and trading itself. He labeled them as things that serve no useful purpose. Business served no useful purpose, have no useful purpose whatsoever. Thankfully, the tide is turning. Praxis, the, the, the business that coined the term redemptive entrepreneurship, is a business based in New York whose mission it is, quote, to advance redemptive entrepreneurship. They describe redemptive entrepreneurship as the belief that Christian entrepreneurs who are spiritually, culturally astute, and in community can be winsome witnesses for the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian gospel through their leadership, behavior, and in the products, 
services, brands, and organizations they build. And over the years, there's been a worldwide growing movement called Business as Mission, which is linked to the concept of kingdom business. Its core value is the notion that God can use businesses for his good purposes to, to quote, to sustain creation, grow wealth, create good products and services, provide for families, and transform communities. Great mission statement. Now let's look at a biblical example of entrepreneurial work. Now there are many examples of entrepreneurs in the Bible, but the person that embodies entrepreneurial work would have to be the woman in Proverbs chapter 31. I love this print uh, painted by uh, Hannah Harris. She's an American artist based in California who decided that she wanted to become an artist since she was seven. I love it because the woman there is unassuming. When I, when I think of Proverbs 31, for some reason, I think of this well-groomed woman in business suit, you know. Uh, but that picture uh, is completely different. She is unassuming and she's hardworking. Whether you're a male or female reading Proverbs 31, you can't help but wonder if there's such a woman. <laughs> Even the text it asks itself that very question in verse 10. Who can find such a woman? Does such a woman exist? The reason is simple. The passage is describing a superwoman. Men reading it are intimidated and pray like crazy that they won't marry such a person. Women reading it are overwhelmed. Oh, how can I be such a person? Did such a woman exist? According to Stevens, uh, the woman is not a flesh and blood example, but a word picture that gives us an idealized model. Certainly, he adds, the passage should not be used to critique or measure a woman's worth, especially that of one's wife. But they are things that we can learn with regards to redemptive entrepreneurship from this woman of wisdom whose way of life, as Stephen, Stephen summed up, was God-originated, God-orientated, and God-pleasing. I'd like to suggest three, I'd like to put forward three characteristics of redemptive entrepreneurship from Proverbs 31. Number one, redemptive entrepreneurs are visionaries and creators. Redemptive entrepreneurs are, are visionaries and creators. They have a knack for identifying gaps in the market. They have, have a knack for identifying a need, a problem, an area of dissatisfaction that current businesses aren't meeting, a problem for which there are no solutions yet. And then they begin to dream up a new idea uh, of a product or service to meet this need or solve a problem that others may disparage or ridicule at first. In a lot of cases, the solution requires a radically different and radical approach. It involves risk-taking because it has never been done before. They often see the future before anyone else does. As Stevens asserts, biblical entrepreneurial spirit comes from the triune God who inspires risk taking, experimentation, 
and creative initiative. In verse 16, Proverbs 31, we're told that a noble woman considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sees a business opportunity, she develops it, and makes it profitable. Her business instinct does not come from a place of greed. It does not come from a place of insecurity or wanting to make a name for themselves. It does not come from a place of fear for the future. It comes from the fear of the Lord. We're told this in verse 30. And as we've said in the past, the fear of the Lord that the Bible speaks of is a healthy, affectionate reverence for God, including his command to care for and to love our neighbors. And that is the key, redempt, a key characteristic of redemptive entrepreneurship. As Dr. Begas, assistant professor of business leadership and management at Regent University in Virginia explains, and I quote, to create something truly beautiful, we must create like God did for others. Create something truly beautiful, we must create like God did for others. It serves his purpose to have a world and people and a universe. So he created it, but it is largely for our benefit and use. In Genesis 1, 27 to 30, God tells Adam and Eve he has given uh, that he has given them creation for subsistence and cultivation. The same is true of an entrepreneur. To create something lasting and of value, the enterprise must serve others, give them value, make life more enjoyable or easier in some way. An entrepreneur who creates purely for himself has a hobby, not a business. He's indulging his interests, He's not looking to serve his fellow men by making life better in some way. Number two, redemptive entrepreneurs are hard workers. In the U.S., statistics show that 50% of businesses fail after five years. According to another study, Eight out of 10 entrepreneurs fail within the first 18 months of starting their businesses. That's a whopping 80% of those who crash and burn. Redemptive, redemptive entrepreneurs know this. They know they have to work hard at making their dreams and visions become a reality. Dreamers are dreamers. Dreamers talk a lot. Dreamers have a lot of ideas, but it's just a whole bunch of hot air. But biblical entrepreneurs, redemptive entrepreneurs, are not. Nigel Patel, an entrepreneur recognized by ex-President Obama as one of the top 100 entrepreneurs under the age of 30 several years ago, wrote, I can't imagine a slower way of, to make money than being an entrepreneur. So, if you're wanting to be an entrepreneur, start something in the hope of making lots of money, well, think twice, because that's a very slow way of earning an income. You can work for years without ever seeing a dime. And this is the report card on his first three businesses. The first one failed miserably. The second one failed and left him with a debt over $1 million at the age of 21. 
And finally, the third one was the success. In Proverbs 31, verse 17, we're told that the woman is eager to roll up her sleeves and gets cracking with work. We read in verse 18 and 27 that her lamp does not go out at night and that she does not eat the bread of idleness. At first glance, it appears that she is a workaholic, very career-driven. But evidence suggests that her Evidence suggests that her industrial, industriousness is not motivated by meeting an unmet need for acceptance or approval, but by her deep commitment to love her neighbor, which comes from her commitment to love God wholeheartedly. Consider verse 20. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. And I should add that her neighbor includes her husband, her family, and employees. We're told that she brings her husband good, not harm, in verse 12. Her work includes the well-being of her family and employees rather than at their expense, which is what, what, uh, what success-driven entrepreneurs can be. They work, 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 and they place their family on the altar because success is all they could think of. They're so driven by it, they're willing to stab anyone in the back, and they're willing to ill-treat their employees, make them work more than they should so that they will prosper. But redemptive entrepreneurs do not do that. They do not sacrifice their families. They do not certainly sacrifice the welfare of their employees. And this brings us to the third quality about redemptive entrepreneurs, as I've already alluded to in the first two points. Redemptive entrepreneurs work for the Lord. They understand that ultimately their boss is the Lord. It is He they work for. They don't just work for the benefit of others, but they're playing for the audience of one. They're working for the audience of one. It's not a slogan. It's not a cliche. It is a lifestyle. Their eyes are firmly fixed on Jesus. They do not do it for a perishable crown, but for a crown that will last forever. In verse 13, we read that she works with eager hands. And this can also be translated as she works with her hands with pleasure. And Stevens points out there's multiple joys in work. The joy of simply being able to work, the joy of using gifts and talents, and the joy of simply knowing that others will benefit from our work. But the ultimate joy in work here hinted at is in the reference off to our ideal woman being a woman who fears the Lord, is to work gladly in God's name and for God's sake. Her motivation comes from a relationship of affectionate reverence of God. This is the basis of the interior beauty of character that we see in her. Proverbs 31, verse 25 to 26, describes her accordingly. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Her husband has full confidence in her and benefits from his strength and integrity of character, enabling him to create business opportunities of his own, as well as garnering respect 
as a community leader. In short, the noble woman in Proverbs 31 is the epitome of Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. She epitomizes that. So for your application, I have, uh, you would have received during the week the news bulletin and on the back page of the news bulletin, there is, there is an excerpt from a book written by Kara Martin titled Workship. So if you haven't read that, I suggest that you uh, do it today or sometime this week and wrestle with, with that article there, uh, pray into it, think about it, reflect further on it. Let us pray. Father, I ask that, uh, that as we continue listening to the series on work matters, that we won't switch off. Our Lord, you will grant us the, the, uh, the grace, you will grant us the willingness, you will grant us the intellectual uh, capacity to wrestle with, with, with this very important subject so that the outcome would be that we will integrate work and faith rather than separate work and faith because biblically they're integrated biblically they're inseparable but lord we tend to compartmentalize things we're very good at compartmentalizing things but you knocked that on the head, Jesus, when you said, this is the greatest commandment, love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, love me in every area of your life. So I ask that that challenge will go with us. I pray particularly for entrepreneurs in our midst here in the church or those who are joining us, perhaps entrepreneurs who have failed and they've given up. But they're actually entrepreneurs. You, you've called them to be entrepreneurs. But in their haste, uh, Lord, in, in, in perhaps out of a wrong, wrong motivation, out of greed perhaps, out of fear, out of a desire to make a name for themselves, they've gone about it the wrong way, and thus they have failed. But the conclusion is not right. You want them to learn. You want them to turn to you. You want to encourage them and resurrect this, this sense of call that you've placed on their lives to be entrepreneurs. For such people, I pray that you speak to them right now and encourage them. For those, Lord, who don't even know that they're entrepreneurs, that, Lord, when you created them, fashioned them in their mother's womb, just like with Jeremiah, you said, I have called you to be an entrepreneur from the moment of conception. I pray that you speak to them today. Speak to them through their friends. Speak to them through trusted friends, trusted colleagues, trusted family members, and use them to foster the entrepreneurial call that you've placed on their life. Thank you, Lord. I ask these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.